about midway through high school, I was a, a church camp counselor down in the Diocese of, of West Texas at Camp Capers, and I spent the whole summer there. It was a great time. Each week, there was a new rector who would come in and lead the camp for the week, and so I got to meet all these people from all over the Diocese of West Texas, and it was really, really a fun time. And that particular summer, the topic was uh, sacraments. And so each week we were talking sacraments, and usually the rectors broke it down day by day, a different, different one. I remember this one week when there was a, a, a rector, his name was Chuck, his wife's name was Kathy, and, and the day we were, that I remember so vividly was, the topic was on marriage, on matrimony, holy matrimony. And I, it's really embarrassing for me to say this, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of kids there, but um, I don't remember a whole lot about the talk, but I remember how Kathy started her talk, because it was, it was a story that... <laughs> It's memorable. I'll tell it to you. She told the story about how they were dating, and it was like their third date. And um, she said that Chuck had, I think he had like one of these old Broncos, like these super old Ford Broncos that you had to climb up into. And he, he, he came to pick her up, and she told the entire room, as I'm telling you all now, that, um, that on this particular day, whatever she had had to eat, whatever it was, she had really bad gas. And she told everybody at the camp Hey, we're talking about getting, getting real today, so for those of you who are offended, sorry, we're, we're getting real today. But she's told everybody that it wasn't smelly, she just had a lot of volume. So anyway, this guy comes, this guy, he, Chuck comes and picks her up, and he brings her to the car, and he's a gentleman, and he opens the door, and he helps her get up in there. And she says, like, she just felt terrible at the moment. So Chuck shuts the door, and she thought, I'm just going to relieve a little bit. So she lets out this audible thing. And she fans it like this. And then Chuck opens the door and he sits down in the seat and he says, Kathy, I want to make sure you meet our double dates. <laughs> Jim and Sarah in the back seat. And she just, she said she turned like five shades of red over, the, over this whole thing. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's the story she told. We oftentimes think that we get away with things that we do in secret. But just like Kathy, I think... We sometimes forget and really take on board what it means that God sees everything that we do. And there's a part of that, a really important part of that, that comes out in our gospel lesson today. And that's really where I want to go today. I want to I dwell on and think about what it means that God knows everything about us and kind of what it means for how we live out our faith. And if we look at this gospel lesson from Mark 12, it, it's a story that ha- there are two bits to it. And, and it has a negative part that he starts with, and it has a positive part. And I want to kind of look at both of those before we kind of launch into the rest. But the negative part, Jesus is uh, is talking, and he he holds up the scribes for a minute, these um, religious leaders of sorts, and he points out, like, he knows their hearts. And he's like, look, these guys are not good. He's like, they are going around in their long robes. They are taking the best seats. They want the fancy titles. They're doing these long prayers because they want recognition and respect and authority and, you know, all, this, all these things. And it's not about where their heart really is. So he, Jesus is saying, this is not it. I mean, we're not to be a people who are going through the motions because we want people to notice and all this. He, want, he knows exactly what's in our hearts. And so he holds this up as sort of the negative piece of it. And then right after that, Mark wants us to hear the other part of what Jesus said is this story of how he calls them to see the heart of this widow. And, you know, pause all that for one second just to think about the complication of Scripture because 
Sometimes we live in the South where people want to get real black and white and take one verse and make a whole doctrine of it. Scripture is complex, right? So I always think about how on Ash Wednesday, if you'll remember the gospel that gets read on that day, is the gospel lesson where Jesus says, when you go to give, don't let the right hand know what the left is doing, right? So if you built all your doctrine around that verse, you'd go one direction. But on this day, Jesus is sitting there watching the people give at the treasury. And then he sees this little woman come to the treasury to give. And he's like, guys, come on and look at, come on over here and look at this. He wants everybody to come see what's going on with this woman. So it's, it's really a contrast to, the, to that other one. But he wants them to see it because this woman, like they've had all these people coming to give big gifts. She's come with these two little copper coins and she puts them in. And Jesus is saying, stop everything, come look. Because he wants his followers to see her heart. How much faith and trust and devotion she has because she's putting everything she has in there. It's not quantitative, it's the qualitative bit of it. And some of us may read this, um, hear this story, and we think, well, how does this really, I mean, what does this really mean for us today? This is absolutely as relevant today as it was then. Because we still have these same things going on, right? I was once at a church where uh, once a year they would throw a party for the biggest givers in the church. And to be honest with you, I abstained from it because I, I really didn't believe in it. Because the truth is, I mean, as a pastor, we're called to love you and help you on your spiritual journeys. And I think what you give is a barometer of your spiritual life a lot of times. It's a very, you know, it's one of the few bits we get to see. But I didn't go to this thing, but I saw the list of who was on it. And the truth is, you look at that list, and they're being celebrated, and they're having this party, and there were some of the worst givers in the church. Because, you know, if you're making $5 million a year, and there's, there's at least some that are, and I'm not throwing stones I don't have this stuff right either, but, but if you're making $5 million a year and you're giving $30,000, there's a problem. It sounds like a big number. We're happy for it. Glad you gave the $30,000, but you're under 1%. I mean, it's just like I worry for where, for where you are spiritually when you're in that situation, right? So this thing goes on to this day, and again, I'm not throwing stones. My point is God knows our very hearts, and we don't play games with Him. You can say, I'm going to give a whole bunch of money when I become rich, I'm going to be a, you know, into philanthropy at that point. But God knows right where you are. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what games you're playing with yourself. He knows all of that. And every, I don't know how often times you, you pay attention to the words we say. The liturgy is great because it gives us words to say, but it can also get where we go on autopilot. But these words you guys just said a few minutes ago, this prayer that we call the collect of purity, it is a beautiful prayer. It dates from either the 10th or 11th century it was in one of the Latin missals. It used to be a prayer that the priest would say before Mass. And then when Thomas Cranmer, the great Anglican, made the first prayer book, he was like, that's a beautiful prayer. We're going to put this right in and have everyone say it or hear it. And, um, and it's Almighty God from whom no, no secrets, you know, there are no secrets. All hearts are open, no secrets are hid. All of this. I mean, every service we start by saying you, you know it all. But we sometimes pretend otherwise right and scripture's got lots of places where it says that i'm going to read just one little passage this is from psalm 139 O lord you've searched me you know me you know when i sit you know when i rise you perceive my thoughts from far you're familiar with all my ways i mean god knows everything about you there's nothing to hide and i think sometimes i don't know why we hide but 
in other contexts I do, right? I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I was thinking back to the very first car date I ever had. And I don't know about you guys, if you can remember your first date, but you're like, you're worried about how you look. You're worried about, you know, I think we, back then we had Banaka. <laughs> you spray it in your mouth and all that. Wanted everything to be perfect because you want the person to like you. You know, if I can just hide all the ugly stuff long enough, maybe they'll like me first and then I'll show it. Then they'll see the ugly stuff or whatever. God knows everything. And the beautiful piece of this is he knows every single wart you have and loves you, pursues you, wants you more than anything to be full on his child and to really bask in his love and know what that means. So it's, it's an amazing thing. I was thinking about it this past week. Um, Justin and I just got back from doing a few days of retreat. At, at, there's only one Benedictine Episcopal monastery in the United States. It's in Michigan, and that's where we were. So literally yesterday, we were up there um, shoveling five inches of snow off the, um, the drive. That's where we were. And it's a, it's a funny place, but it's a great place. But while I was there, I've been going there for a long, long time, uh, many, many years. Um, I always make it a habit to go to the same monk and do my confession with him. And um, I was thinking about that this week because you, you go into, the, and I don't know how many of you have done the sacrament of confession, but it's a gift. So I go into this room, and, you know, and you've, got your, you've done your prayerful reflection. You've got your list of things. And you're saying these things out loud. God already knows them, but you're saying out, them out loud to God's representative, as it were, in this sacrament. And you're saying all these things, and then you hear these words said with authority from God in the church of, yeah, you're forgiven, and I affirm how much I love you. And it's just, there's it, this tangible power. It's just an incredible gift. That's the way God's love is. He knows it all, and he loves us that way, right? Now, the truth is, if we then turn to him, he won't leave us there, because the Holy Spirit will ultimately lead, can you continue to say, okay, love you, like you are, but let's keep moving this way. And that's what the Holy Spirit kind of does and keeps trying to work on us. So, I mean, I think the, these first two points, God knows everything and he loves you the way you are, ultimately leads us to talking about having a real faith because there's not any hiding. We can, and he loves us the way we are, then let's get real with him. Let's get real. He already knows what you're thinking. Let's get real with how we live this out. What does a, a get real faith look like? I think if, you're, if that's something that you, you've hesitated on, it means you bring everything to God. Your bad feelings, your insecurities, your good, whatever it is, your, your angry feelings, your terrible feelings, all these things. And I think if you've never really connected with that, the single best way to do it is to begin to pray all of the Psalms. These prayer poems, as some people call them. I like the way um, one of my favorite Christian authors, Philip Yancey, talks about this. This is what he says about the Psalms. He says, fear, praise, anxiety, anger, love, sorrow, despair, gratitude, grief, doubt, suffering, joy, vengeance, repentance. Every human emotion and experience surges to the surface in the prayer poems of the Psalms. If you want to learn to be honest with God, go pray the Psalms. And, I mean, because there are, there's a psalm for everything that's there that will connect with you at a, at a really deep level. Today, um, the lectionary assigned Psalm 146. And so it's being read in churches all over the world. Um, millions of people are reading it. And I think it's just, it's just a great example. So 
I want to close by just kind of walking through a few verses from the psalm that was appointed for today that we just read. And the way this psalm starts out, you know, in verse 1, um, we kind of sang this, but, it, but it's, the psalm says, hey, I'm going to praise you forever. So, it, so it's, just, it's, it's teaching us to say, whatever's going on in life, the trials we face, the whatever's going on, praise God. That's the voice that's going to ring in me. I'm going to praise God. And then I couldn't help but think in verse 3 about our election this past week because verse 3 says, don't take any confidence in leaders. That's not where your hope is going to come from. Okay, yeah, I forgot that. It brings you right, right back to that place. Or verse 4 talks about um, happy are those who have the God of Jacob as their God. That this, this is the place to be anchored. And, and when I was reading that, I was thinking about a meditation that I heard in the last week, actually from one of the monks, who was talking about whenever you're facing a crisis in life, he gave this image of thinking about being on a ship that's being um, rocked and torn in a storm. And you're, you need to go to the center of this thing and hold on to the, to the mast. Like find the anchor and stuff comes swinging by. You've got a duck, whatever it is. But you're holding on to this thing that's the main thing that's being anchored. And that's what we do in our spiritual lives. Come back to this, the fundamental thing that you hold on to. And this psalm is saying... Happy are they who God of Jacob is their God. So coming back to just holding on to God's my anchor. That desk may come flying across the deck. Avoid it, but just hold on. Again, the, the Psalms keep bringing us back to really fundamental core things. Or that ultimately justice is going to come from God and the hungry are going to be fed. Or we get into um, looking over it starting at verse 7, where he, he goes back to the, sort of the core of the, of the gospel. If you've ever read Luke 4, a lot of people will say that was Jesus' mission statement, where he, he goes to the synagogue and opens it up and reads from, from Isaiah. But it's these passages about caring for those who are blind, the people who are in prison, the people who are bent over and raising them up. And then the psalm goes on to say how God loves the righteous, those who are caring for the widow, for the stranger, for the orphan. It doesn't say it, but I'm going to add it, and I'll tell you why. But the immigrant, and I'm not just being political, but the other, the other passage of Scripture we didn't read today that's assigned is Ruth, where it's a passage where Ruth goes and meets Boaz and Naomi helps and all that. But you forget, Ruth is an immigrant, and that's ultimately Jesus' lineage. That's going to be where Jesse and David and all of them are going to come, come from, this idea that that's, that's part of this picture too, that that's... So it's bringing, this psalm is bringing us back to the core things of what we're about and what Jesus is about. And then the very final passage, is, uh, to me, is like to go back to the anchor thing for a minute. It, it ends by saying, yeah, and he's going to reign forever. Just you know, fundamentally bringing us back to this core thing, God reigns forever. This one's not super loaded with emotion, but there are lots of core things just there that bring you back. That's the way the psalms are. They bring you back to core things. They bring you back to this... Emo this, all these different ranges of emotion, and they force you to get real with God. I'll leave you with those three things. God knows everything about you. He loves you anyway. And in that, he calls you to have a faith that's real. Just lay it out there and be real with him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that um, you knew us before we were even born. 
You've known every sin we've committed. You've known every good thing that's ever happened. Through it all, you, um, you beckon us to call out to you, to recognize that we're your children, and to follow you in love. And we ask, Lord, by your grace, um, help us to do that, to, look, to find strength and security and comfort in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.